Welcome to the Caring Congregation podcast, where we seek to educate and equip pastors, congregational care ministers, or CCMs for short, and church laity to create a culture of care in the church and community. I'm Reverend Joy Dister Dominguez, your host and producer of this podcast. In season five, we're talking all about the intersection of care and social justice. Today's episode is the first part of my conversation with Reverend Rachel Bachman. Oh my goodness, Reverend Rachel, she is a trailblazer, a prophet, and so passionate to live out the gospel in the local church. Reverend Rachel Bachman is the senior pastor at Oaklawn United Methodist Church in Texas. She is a sixth generation United Methodist minister, a graduate of Texas Wesleyan University and Drew Theological Seminary. Rachel is one of the primary editors for the CEB women's bible published by abington press rachel also has contributed to and edited the spark bible and a long list of curriculum for spark house press her husband reverend mike bachman is also a united methodist minister they live in dallas area with their four children i hope that you enjoy this conversation all about persons who are unhoused reverend rachel brings incredible insight and the, the many years that she has been in ministry with those who are unhoused. I hope that you enjoy this episode and find it insightful and perhaps may give you some ideas to work in your own neighborhoods with those who are unhoused. Take a listen. Welcome, Reverend Rachel. I'm so glad to have you with us on our podcast today. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. Well, we are, <laughs> well we're excited um, to talk about the intersection of care and social justice. And I love and respect the work that you're doing in Dallas and, and really appreciate it. And so I, I'm excited for you to tell us more about that. But before we jump into that, I'm curious if you could give us a little bit more information about how we refer to uh, persons who are unhoused or unsheltered, um, persons who uh, typically society would call homeless persons. So tell us why the words matter and how we talk about this social justice issue. Sure. Uh, I think it's always important to... um to approach every human being as the full, um, the full self that they are, uh, irrespective of whatever things are happening to them, around them, within them. And so, you know, we have a lot of different ways of diagnosing, um, things that we encounter and things that we're experiencing. But I think one of the most important things I learned in seminary was the importance of, um, not labeling someone for their diagnosis. In other words, not to call someone a schizophrenic, but Mm -hmm. a person struggling with or experiencing bipolar schizophrenia or, you know, and, and the same would be true of, of other things that people experience such as homelessness. So when someone is experiencing homelessness, I think it's good to talk about it 
around the issue of experiencing homelessness rather than calling someone a homeless person. Um, And so, so I would say, you know, this is an unsheltered person who attends my church, or this is a, someone who is unhoused or someone experiencing homelessness currently. Thank you. And I think that's really important. Um, And we go back to the why, uh, why that's so important. Um, So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your call to ordained ministry, where you're currently serving and why social justice matters to you. Yeah, so I think that's probably a journey for um, for everyone, but it certainly has been a journey for me. I grew up in the United Methodist Church as a preacher's kid, and um, and and deeply so because I'm a sixth generation United Methodist pastor um, in Texas, and so it's a it's a deeply rooted part of my identity and my family's identity, yes. and. Uh, and I think that it's unavoidable to, <laughs> to need to acknowledge that in the midst of acknowledging where I come from and what my call to ministry has looked like. Um, ministry and, and working in the church and living in the church has been just um, everything I knew growing up. And, uh, and while it's not what I went to college for, I really had the intention or thought that I would... Um, be a music director or a music educator. And so that's, that's what I did my undergraduate work in. Um, but I did so while working full-time in the church. (laughs) And so that, that kind of, um, real life experience then proved out to me to be my, my most comfortable self, my most real and true self of, um, working in the church and, and helping people to identify the ways that God is present and active in their lives. And, um, and so I think honestly, just by, uh, living into something that I just knew so intrinsically was, um, was really an essential part of my path toward my call to ordain ministry. Um, I served in the local church. I have served in federal, a federal women's prison. I've, um, served in different capacities in a local church, anything from children and youth ministry to executive administrative um, functions of the church, and now as a senior pastor um, of a local church. And I love all of it. Um, I've learned something from all of it. Sure. And um, and I think that in any in any way that you kind of work in ministry or work with people, <laughs> you just kind of begin to learn what makes people tick and, and the way that God is so, um, so active and present in that. And so what I, what I think probably has happened over time is that I've been really attuned to people who struggle in different ways and, and primarily in the way of being displaced. Mm. Um, I feel like in a strange way, maybe I was prepared for connection with people who have been displaced by being a preacher's kid, frankly. Mm. (laughs) Um, I've lived a lot of places and it's hard for me to identify where home is. Mm. And, um, and I, and I don't mean to use that identification lightly, but, um, but I do think that there's a point of connection that I have with understanding how um, how you exist in the world 
um, when that when that particular point isn't real clear. Mm. And um, and it's something that I think a lot of us really take for granted in our privilege sure. um, is a real clear identification with home and what is mine and what is yours. And, Mm -hmm. and it really has helped me identify really what is God's. Mm, And, um, and so I think that I, I really approach every aspect of my ministry with that in mind. Um, And I identify with displaced people as, as an intentional um, identifier of what I am drawn to in my ministry. Um, because it actually intersects so many different things. Um, I work with a um, largely displaced community as my local church in a lot of different ways. Some because they identify somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum and have been perhaps displaced from church or home or family or Mm -hmm. any number of things. Um, I, I work with those who are displaced because they are experiencing homelessness also for a large variety of reasons. Um, I work with people who are immigrants and refugees and in all of these different um, parts of my ministry and my life, um, I think a a large part of my connection is identifying with people who have been displaced. Mm. So that's just kind of maybe a, um, a synopsis of where I feel God working in my life and where I feel called to ministry. That's beautiful. That's beautiful and holy. Thank you for sharing that. And so you currently serve as the senior pastor at Oak Lawn United Methodist Church in Dallas, Texas. Will you share more about your work with um, the unhoused and unsheltered? You've made the news. (laughs) I love following you on the news, especially in the winters and the summers when um, our siblings are in great need uh, because of, of weather that, that they do not have the shelter. Um, can you talk more about your work with Oakwan? Um, yeah, I was really, I was really blessed to be appointed to a, a congregation in an urban setting that I never would have, I never would have guessed, like I had something to contribute to, but, um, but I do. And, and again, I think that is just listening and paying attention to God and what's right in front of you. And uh, when I came to Oak Lawn United Methodist Church, there was an active ministry of feeding those experiencing homelessness on one day a week on Sunday nights. And so it would be a, a program that really was started um, several pastors prior to me that, uh, that really just kind of uh, coordinated volunteers from the church to cook a hot meal and serve it on Sunday evening. Um, to those experiencing homelessness in the neighborhood. And um, it was a helpful and, uh, and continues to be a really beneficial service that we're able to provide um, to the neighborhood. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, now we don't do that one day a week. We do that every day of the week. And, um, and certainly in the midst of the pandemic, that became even more important as other resource providers um, were less able to uh, continue their work in that way. We increased ours instead of decreasing it. So um, we just found new or different ways to safely provide 
hot meals and and made sure to continue that work because um, everybody still needs to eat and uh, and having our basic needs met is absolutely one of the most important um, ways that we show up in the in the world. So <clears throat> um, I think that I think that a really significant thing that happened for me when I started at Oakland was really uh, I considered it. Um, not only an invitation, perhaps, but perhaps a directive from my district superintendent when I was seated at Oakwan <clears throat> to find out if this urban church is a church that really could continue and be able to thrive in the future, or if it's something that needed to be um, closed and or merged with another congregation, because it it has been a uh, it's a it's a long-standing historic church uh, in the heart of Dallas that um, that really was built uh, as a family church and continued to be so until I arrived. Um, the last of that kind of founding family has died since I've been there, but it, it really shaped and formed its identity for its long history and, um, and in, in really wonderful and beautiful ways. Um, but this was a time and an um, opportunity to evaluate whether there was something new and different for the future of Oakland. And, um, and I didn't come in with a set vision or set idea uh, for what that would be, but I came in with a very willing and open heart to um, look and listen and commit to being outside more than inside, um, mm -hmm. on the streets more than in the building and um, talking to everyone that I met. And so in the process of doing that, <clears throat> uh, I really took on very early on at Oakland um, a mantra of opening doors, which is clearly very United Methodist and ingrained in us for a long time. So it seems like a no brainer to me, <laughs> um, but very simply the act of opening the doors and seeing who's on the other side of them actually waiting to come in, wanting to come in, desiring a space of safety and shelter and provision. Um, they were right there. So it, it just seemed like an obvious uh, opportunity. And so um, that's indeed what we did. We opened doors and began to change a um, change a dynamic pretty significantly for the future of the church there and for the neighborhood. And really for the city, I mean, this, this idea kind of crosses over into every component of what we do. Um, the, the kind of biblical mandate that the church already had adopted in, in word, at least um, before I came there, um, was Hebrews 13, um, to let love continue, keep loving one another, showing hospitality um, to strangers. And, you know even though they kind of used that as a tag line for themselves that let love continue was their kind of tagline when I arrived. Um, it really spoke to me. I mean, thanks to, thanks to whoever decided that because, <laughs> because, um, because I think it had a lot more, um, a lot more legs than it had been given. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so it has legs now. And it's really um, something that we, that helps us thrive 
but also um, has shaped our identity uh, in the city. And so we do seek in all ways to show hospitality to strangers, and that comes in a lot of different forms. And uh, so to to really get to your question, though, on that first in the first winter, um, we had we had already begun really inviting in everyone who was on the other side of the door, making sure those doors were unlocked, mm-hmm. accessible, mm-hmm. and open in every kind of way that they unfortunately weren't before, um, we, we found, we found the doorknobs, you know, and, um, and flung them wide open. And so, um, many of those who were experiencing homelessness became very active in the life of the church, became church members, um, were baptized, um, became parts of our church board and council and, um, serving in important ways and informing us about what we need to know to be able to be good neighbors, <clears throat> to truly show hospitality in the way that our neighborhood needed, and um, and to let love continue in every possible way. And so, in that first winter, we had our first freezing night of my appointment at Oakland, and um, one of our members came and asked, "You know, it's going to be below freezing. Do you think?" me and Mike and Harold could come inside tonight. And uh, I kind of, I kind of was dumbfounded. I thought, yeah, yeah, you definitely should. And like, I kind of immediately had this um, memory come to my mind of a time when um, my dad was serving a church in Sonora, Texas, which is out in West Texas. and there was a, there was a freeze, there was this crazy ice storm and, uh, we're on interstate 10 and there is nothing out there. I mean, really nothing out there. <laughs> and so, um, so I remember so clearly that became a night where everybody who was on the roads that night, not on the street in the way we experienced in Oakland, but on the roads, literally, um, they, they stopped there and they came into the sanctuary and slept in the sanctuary. And I just remember as a child walking through, um, the sanctuary and seeing like people sleeping on pews. And I don't, I don't remember a lot of things, (laughs) but some things just stick in my memory, like, uh, in terms of the image of that. And that image really just popped into my, into my mind. And it seemed like, again, a no brainer. I mean, yes, of of course you can come in and like, look how much space we have and how many pews with pew cushions on them (laughs) are available and going to be heated tonight. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. You should come in anyway, all that to say, I, um, I pulled aside my trustee chair and my board chair and, uh, we talked over the coffee pot between services. I presented to them the question that she presented to me and, uh, we talked about it for less than five minutes. And they said, yeah, yeah, we should do that. And so we did. Um, and you know, one thing led to another and a few nights in, we had more than a hundred people, um, sleeping inside the church. And, um, and so that really opened the door again to a whole new, um, ministry for us. And, and we've really grown and that's developed in some in some pretty remarkable ways over the years and has led to some incredible collaboration. 
yeah. some challenging times and sure. some, you know, just overall, uh, a real blessing. Yeah. How long, how long ago was that? The first six years ago, six years ago. Wow. That is remarkable. What has been the biggest surprise in these last six years? Um, probably the biggest surprise shouldn't be a surprise. Um, and that is that I'm continually surprised by nimbyism. So what we call it, not in my backyard. Um, the challenges that you face kind of the walls that get thrown up over and over and over again, um, to stand in the way of doing good in the world. Um, that that's a very real challenge. And it's one that I've been a very active participant in, um, working to resist in our city and find ways to help people be their best self. I mean, I think, I think I also come at that from a, from an interesting angle, having come from a church prior to this one, that was very privileged and very affluent and understanding the heart of all the kind of people. I mean, everybody, everybody's a child of God. Everyone is beloved. I'm not, you know, never here to pit one kind against another or pit privilege against non-privilege or anything like that. I think we all experience things differently. And the challenge sometimes is helping to call out people's best self. And, um, this just never as easy as I expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've done a lot of work with the city and city officials. Mm-hmm. Can you speak more about that? And perhaps if our listeners are looking to get involved to, uh, to work on behalf of, of social justice for the unhoused, what do you recommend? What has worked? What hasn't worked? Um, where do you find that strength just to keep going, to keep fighting for good in your city? Um, well, I'd say first and foremost, it's really important to be good supporters of, um, of those willing to step into places of leadership, um, both in the church and in the city that to collaborate and to have a successful kind of partnership in terms of civic and faith based relationships, um, can be very challenging. And so really throwing your support behind those willing to step into spaces like that is so important and, and having a kind of a collaboration of people willing to be in that with you is also really important. Um, and then, and then just being willing to learn what you need to learn to do it. Um, there's seldom, um, a guidebook that's just ready to go to help you figure out the thing you need to figure out. (laughs) And so, um, I think there was, there's always a, a learning curve to, figuring out when the city council meetings happen, when the agenda is set and how you can figure out how to, you know, get on the agenda and have a opportunity to speak to different issues that are 
um, going to be on the agenda. And um, I, I've definitely done my homework over the years. I have definitely shown up and, and um, spoken, I'm sure more times than my um, city would like, but, um, but that said, uh, stick with it. There's not, I, I mean, everybody's, every position in, in these areas is always changing. And uh, most everybody's there representative of something and someone. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think having a healthy acknowledgement of that and recognition that everybody is there trying to do a thing (laughs) is, is a good reminder because, um, you know, we come together really all hoping to do a good thing, um, hoping to do the best for whoever we're representing there. Um, and so, so as long as we can kind of come in with that, um, uh, reminder, I think that we stand to be a lot more successful and productive together. Um, I've honestly really enjoyed getting to know, um, those within kind of the civic political structure of our city and, um, what makes them tick and why they're elected and what the, I mean, you, you learn the whole game if you are willing to get there and stick with it. Um, but I'd also say that my ability to do that, um, is also so largely dependent on my congregation's ability to embrace that and understand the importance of it and thereby support my time spent there, uh, which is really significant. Um, there's, there's been no shortage of hours that I've spent, um, writing my sermon for city council, Mm. just as there is time spent writing my sermon for Oakland. And oftentimes they're the same sermon. Sure. And, um, and so I think once you can begin to kind of, uh, lay the groundwork for those two to really not be that different. Um, you, you've really kind of found your, found your path toward the ways that the city and your congregation need you the same way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that you're kind of all working toward the same good then. Um, but it's been, it's been really, um, opening in a lot of ways. And I'm really Mm -hmm. grateful for some of the ways that city council members will, give their time to me. Um, I mean, in city council meetings, surrender their time speaking to give more time for me to speak or, um, or times when I'll have a very different speech than someone else who comes and to actually be able to hear each other in a civil way. Mm. Um, civil discourse about things we disagree about is essential. I think for our Mm. ability to know how to live together as God's people. And so I've, I've really enjoyed the opportunity to do that. And I hope that I've set an example that is, um, a positive one for people, uh, in the city. And, um, and I think it's made good progress in doing some of the things that we feel called to at Oakland. Absolutely. I, I didn't say why there's a need for all of that. And so maybe I should backtrack just a, a bit, but, uh, after opening that first winter, uh, we learned pretty quickly that it is against our city code 
to um, shelter individuals within the church, which frankly, if you want to read that um, letter of the law, truly also means that you really can't have a lock-in in your church either. Mm. And so um, as it turns out, people don't like being told they shouldn't have a lock-in. And so um, it's helped our ability to talk about, you know, why and how and when people are deserving of of shelter over their head and a a hot meal to eat and a bathroom to use. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, things that I think for the most part, a lot of us go on day to day, never thinking about and taking for granted. Mm -hmm. Um, But as it turns out, there's a lot of people who need those things and on a daily basis that, that don't have them. joining us for today's episode. This was part one of a two-part series, so I hope that you'll tune in next week as we continue our conversation. In the meantime, you can check out additional resources on our website, thecaringcongregation.com. And be sure to share this episode. Perhaps it may spark some ideas in your community. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.